Welcome back to another episode of Trippy Education, training responsibly and preparing psychedelic-induced experiences. Today's podcast is going to be very interesting and novel for all the listeners. It's mainly on the topic of a new therapeutic intervention for post-traumatic stress disorder, which is MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. This podcast brings together years of research drawn upon from various scientific studies on trauma from intergenerational, racial, cultural, religious, tragic life events, physical and psychological abuse, and war, while providing various therapeutic interventions and strategies that have been in use for years to help ameliorate traumatic symptoms and stress. Post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, a common psychiatric disorder subsequent to trauma, is a widespread phenomenon and a growing epidemic. This podcast is directed to an audience of psychotherapists, as well as the layperson wanting to understand more about post-traumatic stress disorder, and to introduce the use of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for people suffering from PTSD. As current and future clinicians and therapists, it is our job to discover and implement novel therapeutic tools that will amend the vast and deeply rooted reaches of trauma. Within the last decade, one novel therapeutic tool has been gaining efficacious ground in the realm of, th- in the realm of trauma. <clears throat> This therapeutic tool is 3,4-methylenedioxymethamphetamine, or MDMA. Used in combination with psychotherapy as MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. This combination of drug and therapy provides evidence that MDMA-assisted psychotherapy catalyzes the therapeutic process in relation to PTSD. (coughs) Within this podcast, The listener will discover various forms of research on trauma, learning how it occurs, what can we do to aid its recovery, and how to take future steps towards a more trauma-conscious society. Part one of this podcast is going to be a literature review. Um, In the first section of this literature review, it's going to be titled The Long, Salient, and Unbroken Chain of Trauma. The listener will uncover the various aspects of trauma and its far reaches within the individual, all the way to the collective. In the second session, section titled Current Understanding of Trauma and Trauma Therapy, the effects of trauma on the brain and mind will be explored. Current medical and therapeutic treatments for trauma will also be outlined in this section. In the third section, titled MDMA, Psychiatry's Antibiotic, MDMA 3,4-methylene-dioxymethamphetamine will be assessed in relation to therapy and PTSD. In the fourth section titled Research into the Use of MDMA-Assisted Psychotherapy, MDMA-Assisted Psychotherapy will be discussed in depth. This section provides current literature and pioneering research on how MDMA is being used in therapy for PTSD. The fifth and final section of the literature review 
is titled Discussion Towards a Trauma-Conscious Society. And this is a discussion on future implications of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy and other substance-assisted psychotherapies on the individual level, as well as the collective and global society. I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Part one, literature review. Trauma, derived from the Greek word wound, is a remarkably loaded word, one that possesses insurmountable ammunition for deeply rooted pain. Within our daily experience, trauma pervades our planet from the microcosm of our personal lives all the way up to the global picture of humanity as a whole. Trauma can be caused by a variety of experiences, some including car accidents, rape, unexpected deaths, childhood abuse, natural disasters, and war. Trauma does not only affect the individual's life, however. Trauma's physiological and psychological implications find its way into the collective and community through genetics and intergenerational trauma as well as racial and cultural discrimination. As it is said in the Kybalion, as above, so below, as below, so above. Trauma affects below within the individual, as well as affecting above within the collective. Within this section of the podcast, the literature review, trauma is shown to penetrate us all on many levels. Phenomenologically studying our current state of affairs in the world, we can unequivocally see an increase in trauma. Through a rise in school and social violence to an increase in dominator mentality over discriminated groups, our society as a whole seems to be hurting. For many fortunate individuals, after experiencing a traumatic event, they can make sense of those traumas and integrate them into their lives. However, for many, a debilitating stress-related disorder can result, that being post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. PTSD affects about 7.7 million American adults in a given year, though the disorder can develop at any age, including childhood. According to the American Psychiatric Association within the DSM-5, trauma requires actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. The difference between traumatic and non-traumatic stressors are hard to clarify. This likely stems from the greater inter-individual variability that exists with respect to appraisal of stressful and traumatic events. In other words, trauma affects every individual uniquely. A traumatic event or multiple traumatic events or experiences that produce symptoms of PTSD for one person may not produce the same symptoms for another individual in regard to the same trauma or set of traumatic experiences. Every person's psychology, 
physiology, and personality structures are intrinsically unique in the way they subjectively interact with the world and themselves. Interestingly, it has been shown that non-traumatic stressors in relation to work or finances have the potential to inflict the same amount of impact as a severe traumatic event would. Post-traumatic stress disorder as a consequence to the rise in trauma is a growing epidemic and is associated with high rates of psychiatric and medical comorbidity, disability, suffering, and suicide. Psychotherapists should be equipped with novel therapeutic tools that will address the vast and deeply rooted pains of trauma. Within the last decade, a new hope for trauma sufferers has appeared. This new hope being 3,4-methylene-dioxy-methamphetamine, MDMA, and its combination in therapy for PTSD. MDMA 3,4-methylene-dioxy-methamphetamine is known as an intactogen, meaning to produce a touching within. MDMA is also known as an empathogen, meaning to produce empathy. MDMA-assisted psychotherapy is being shown to catalyze the therapeutic process, as well as increase the therapeutic alliance between therapists and client, or clients. Currently, MDMA is considered a Schedule I substance in the United States. However, in 2017, the Federal Drug Administration, FDA, designated MDMA-assisted psychotherapy breakthrough therapy, thus expediting its legality for therapeutic use in the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. From past to present, the effects of trauma reach deep into our psychophysiology. In the next section, <clears throat> the next section of this literature review, research on trauma will be discussed, particularly how trauma interacts with the human organism, how it affects, how its effects are managed, and tr- novel treatments that are being shown to produce safe reliable and efficacious results in potentially curing the effects of trauma. The future of trauma seems to appear bright with the help of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. The first section of this literature review on this podcast is titled The Long, Salient, and Unbroken Chain of Trauma. The chains of trauma can be found pervaded throughout the earth, touching every human soul. As Peter Levine put it, trauma is a fact of life. It does not, however, have to be a life sentence. We can assume trauma has always been a significant aspect of human experience throughout human history and prehistory. 
This means that stress-related psychiatric disorders following trauma, such as post-traumatic stress disorder, has been around for millennia and continues to percolate through the human species. Trauma can befall human beings at an individual level as well as a collective level. Current research on trauma and the psychophysiological effects on human beings is showing that traumatic events that occurred in the past, i.e. one to two generations ago, can still potentially have an impact on the well-being of individuals today. This particular face of trauma is known as intergenerational trauma. Intergenerational trauma is the transmission of a past traumatic event that occurred in a former generation, producing traumatic stressors onto a latter generation. According to Klengel, Diaz, and Ressler, 2016, intergenerational trauma implies direct exposure to a stressor from the parent to the subsequent generation. This type of trauma reaches to the deepest part of our physiology, our genes. Using mice studies to analyze the way stress influences gene function, recent studies suggest that epigenetic mechanisms are implicated in the inheritance of environmentally acquired information. Using this model of genetic inheritance, intergenerational trauma can occur prior to conception, affecting the parents by activating various molecular changes. In utero, a transmission from parent to offspring, and postnatal, due to environmental conditions and parental attunement. <clears throat> At the genetic level, stress caused by trauma influences transcriptional regulation. One of the more interesting studies on how intergenerational trauma occurs in utero was by Yehunda Engal Brand et al., 2005. In their prospective longitudinal epidemiological study, provided evidence that women who were pregnant at the time of the 9-11 World Trade Center attacks and who suffered post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of witnessing the disaster, in turn affected their babies in the womb. During this study, the researchers measured the stress hormone cortisol in the mothers and in their one-year-old infants in the morning and at night. Instead of this being postnatal effects of the mother's PTSD onto the child, the, the study found evidence pointing towards an in utero effect. They found that the stage of pregnancy, specifically the third trimester a woman was in while experiencing the tragedy on September 11th, correlated with the greatest abnormality in the stress hormone cortisol. Other studies coincide with this evidence by showing that the stress centers in the brain the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, HPA, appears to be programmed by early life experiences. <clears throat> Genetic contributions to intergen intergenerational trauma 
seems to be apparent from this research. However, this is not the only way for this aspect of trauma to find its way into subsequent generations. Moving from the physiological and biological effects of intergenerational trauma, the psychological and emotional aspect of parental attunement comes into play. Attunement, according to Holograki, Kaminsky, and Firesky, Fire Squee, 1999, is related to an empathic process, but adds components of action and adjustment. The attuned parent not only understands what the child is thinking and feeling, but also adjusts his or her behavior in concert with the child's developmental needs and limitations. When a baby cries, what would be expected is a calming parental response. According to Reese 2005, this act is a highly sophisticated duet involving tone, pitch, and rhythm of voice, posture, facial expression, movement, and touch. When trauma is embedded within a parent or parents, it is more difficult for them to attune to their offspring. It is shown in studies of certain populations and cultures that have endured severe trauma, i.e. survivors of the Holocaust, that the psychophysiological effects from trauma can be transmitted from parent to offspring. According to Lieberman, 2007, Parents who are themselves traumatized by their past and or present circumstances may resemble their children in the inability to distinguish reliably between dangerous and safe situations. This may result in poor infant development for the child, whereby the parents may be inconsistent guides in helping their child acquire a sturdy sense of reality and of socially appropriate behavior. Negligent or absent attunement from parents has detrimental effects on children. This can be seen in many foster children or children of substance-addicted parents. These situations have been shown to create adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, for the child, which have significant psychological and psychosocial effects as they get older. The social costs of creating vast amounts of ACEs that dysregulate children and produces an an unsteady foundation for their life is high. These children then have higher likelihood of developing various comorbid disorders when they are older, such as substance abuse and other DSM-5 diagnoses. According to Mate, 2010, For each adverse childhood experience, the risk for the early initiation of substance abuse increased two to four times. Subjects with five or more ACEs had a seven to 10 greater risk of substance abuse. This highlights the imperativeness that parents have on being the primary caregivers of their offspring. Attuned, loving, and present parents 
give their children the opportunity to flourish and grow in a healthy direction. Intergenerational trauma encompasses a vast array of stressors and situations that lead to post-traumatic stress disorder within a human being. Under this umbrella, racial and discriminatory trauma has also been found to be passed down throughout the generations. These aspects of trauma can be seen throughout various points in history and throughout various cultures. Examples of this disseminating aspect of trauma include the Spanish and indigenous dislocation during the Spanish conquest, the persecution of Jewish people throughout the Holocaust, the enslavement of African Americans, and the continued discrimination from white supremacist mentality today. During these times in history, many deleterious ideologies existed, which caused an uproar of this destructive traumatic force. Bombay, Matheson, and Annisman, 2009, focused a study on Aboriginal cultures and other cultures that have endured severe trauma in the past in relation to socioeconomic disadvantages, i.e. living conditions, and parental styles that might be secondary to traumatic events. They found that intergenerational transmission of trauma through knowledge and culture passed down through stories and history had deleterious effects, including vulnerability to post-traumatic stress disorder, general psychological distress, difficulties in coping with stressful experiences, and poor attachment styles. Indigenous cultures understood trauma and its effects on our physiology, psychology, and most of all, our spirituality. Certain Aboriginal cultures post-Spanish conquest used the word susto to describe trauma. According to Levine, 2010, susto translates graphically as flight paralysis and as soul loss. Levine adds that anyone who has suffered deep trauma knows that there is a varying degree of paralyzing fright followed by a deprived feeling of losing your way in the world. This losing our way in the world can be best described by Hardy, 2013, in relation to racial trauma. Racial oppression is a traumatic form of interpersonal violence which can lacerate the spirit, scar the soul, and puncture the psyche. Interpersonal trauma, which is trauma-related to relationships between people reaches deep within the human organism. These types of traumatic situations are devastating and can leave someone devalued, having a lost sense of self, voiceless, and often filled with rage. According to Levine, 2010, long-term post-traumatic stress or PTSD is developed when a sense of fear and immobility is present within an individual at the moment of trauma. Another aspect of trauma that creates this fear and immobility, as well as being interpersonal, is traumatic events caused by car accidents and rape. 
according to Mayu, Bryant, and, and Dithlu, 1993. Psychiatric symptoms and disorders are frequent after major and less severe road accident injuries. In their prospective emergency room study, they identified an acute stress syndrome in close to one-fifth of motor vehicle accident survivors. PTSD persisted in roughly 10% and fears of being a passenger remained for over 16%. Another prospective study of consecutive attenders at accident and emergency clinics suggests that approximately 23% to 25% suffer PTSD over the first three to six months and between 11 and 17% over 12 months following a road traffic accident. Various types of road traffic accidents can cause physical harm to the individual and also engender a sense of fear and immobility. Research has been shown throughout the literature review so far that physical trauma is inextricably connected with psychological, emotional, and spiritual well-being. The body keeps the score as Bessel van der Kolk so eloquently phrased it as the title of his recent book. Another form of interpersonal and physical trauma that causes fear and immobility is rape. This aspect of trauma debilitates an individual and has a high rate of PTSD. According to the National Women's Study 2007, which encompassed an epidemiological survey of 4,008 women, found the lifetime prevalence of PTSD resulting from rape and sexual assault to be 32% and 30.8% respectively, compared with a prevalence of 9.4% caused by non-crime related trauma. The last aspect of trauma described in this section, but certainly not least, is trauma endured upon military personnel, police officers, firefighters, and emergency medical technicians, EMTs. These specific individuals may encounter traumatic experiences every single day. Therefore, they have been many There have been many scientific studies conducted in looking at how PTSD can be pervasive in its impact on people's lives. Within these specific individuals described prior, PTSD is most prevalent in countries where there is endemic armed conflict. As of December 7th, 2012, 103,792 of the United States deployed armed forces were diagnosed with PTSD. As of June 5th, 2015, this number rose to 138,000. 197. Along with military personnel, nursing personnel who witnessed war and other high-intensity situations can also develop PTSD. According to Carson et al. 2000, 
civilian medical and nursing personnel who work in situations that involve repeated exposure to the gruesome injury and death of others, i.e. trauma centers or burnt units, might also be at high risk for developing PTSD. Throughout all the aspects of trauma, from intergenerational to adverse childhood experiences, to cultural and racial discrimination, to interpersonal trauma, it is appallingly imperative that we seek to understand this long, salient, and unbroken chain and find interventions to ameliorate its malevolent grip. The second section of this podcast is titled Current Understanding of Trauma and Trauma Therapy. In the first section of this section, I will discuss the neuroscientific research on PTSD. Our current understanding of trauma and trauma therapy within the United States and the world as a whole has been growing year after year. There have been great strides in understanding the neuroscience and psychophysiology of post-traumatic stress disorder induced from the various aspects of trauma. Studies using magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, magnetic resonance spectroscopy, Spectroscopy, MRS, functional MRI, positron emission tomography, PET scans, and single photon emission computed tomography, SPECT scans, probe into the neural circuitry of the brain and illuminate key structures that are malfunctioning or aberrantly developed. Three key brain regions have been implicated in studies of PTSD. Those three brain regions include the amygdala, the medial prefrontal cortex, and the hippocampus. The amygdala and hippocampus are part of a system in the brain known as the limbic system. This is our reptilian brain. The amygdala is an almond-shaped structure that is known to have a central role in emotional learning and memory, as well as aversive learning and fear conditioning. The medial prefrontal cortex is a brain region right behind the forehead that is involved in the process of extinction of fear conditioning and the retention of extinction. It also plays a role in decision-making, executive control, reward-guided learning, decision-making about risk and reward, and memory. In primates, this brain region is well-connected to the amygdala. The hippocampus, Latin for seahorse because of its shape within the brain, is part of the limbic system and plays a central role in learning and the formation of episodic, declarative, and working memory. 
The hippocampus also is involved in explicit memory processes and in the encoding of context during fear conditioning. The hippocampus has been shown to interact with the amygdala during the encoding of emotional memories. It has also been shown that an increased coupling between the medial prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus is a marker of anxiety states. According to Gray, 2012, over the years, neuroscientific research has begun documenting various structural changes to these three key regions of the brain of PTSD diagnosed participants in terms of thickness, volume, and area as compared to brains of non-diagnosed individuals exposed to the same stimuli. Neuroimaging provides evidence that individuals with PTSD have a heightened responsivity in the amygdala, a weakened responsivity in the medial prefrontal cortex, and an antithetical relationship between these two brain regions. Evidence also points towards diminished volumes, neural integrity, and functional integrity of the hippocampus. In other words, the amygdala is hyperactive while the medial prefrontal cortex is hypoactive. According to Gray 2012, this malfunction leads to changes in the interpretive process or a threat-oriented bias in anxious individuals. This results in various symptoms of PTSD, such as hyperarousal, distress, and avoidance behaviors. A malfunction within the hippocampus may cause an impairment in an individual's response to safety signals, as well as their response to stress. Certain biological pathways have also been implicated in PTSD which include corticotropin-releasing hormone and hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis abnormalities, as well as dysfunction in noradrenergic, serotonergic, and glutaminergic systems. According to the National Institutes of Mental Health 2016, there are four types of symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. These are 1. Re-experiencing symptoms 2. Avoidance symptoms 3. Arousal and reactivity symptoms and 4. Cognitive and mood symptoms Within these four types of symptoms arise further debilitating symptoms, such as flashbacks, disturbed sleep and dreams, exaggerated startle response, anger outbursts, depression, and apathy. In children and teens, these symptoms may be displayed differently in bedwetting, being unusually clingy with an adult or parent and recreating the event during playtime. Among the severity and degree of impairment of adults with PTSD in 2001 to 2003, 36.6% were considered serious, 33.1% moderate, 
and 30.2% mild. These statistics provide insight into how pervasive trauma's effects are within a human organism. Post-traumatic stress disorder is identified and measured using the clinician-administered PTSD scale, CAPS. The CAPS is a psychometric instrument that is conducted through a semi-structured interview. The CAPS provide a mean to evaluate the frequency and intensity of each symptom, the impact of the symptoms on the patient's social and occupational functioning, the overall severity of the symptom complex, the patient's global improvement since baseline, and validity of ratings obtained. And this is according to National Centers for PTSD. This recent neuroscientific research of the pathophysiology enables research clinicians and PTSD diagnosed individuals to understand how trauma affects one on a neurophysiological level. This essential information provides a deeper understanding on how trauma influences an individual's thoughts, behaviors, and lifestyle. Through neuroscience, we can link malfunctioning and aberrantly developed brain regions to various psychophysiological symptoms. This information is most practical within therapeutic settings. Within our Western model of therapy, there are two main therapeutic avenues in the approach to treating post-traumatic stress disorder. <clears throat> These avenues are psychotherapy, psychological, and pharmacotherapy, physiological. Over the years, there has been a growing interest in complementary and alternative medicine, which includes mind-body medicine, whereby creating more channels to actively study. These forms of therapy aid in reducing symptoms of PTSD, as well as revitalizes the lives of those affected by this debilitating trauma and stress disorder. There are a number of psychotherapeutic interventions for post-traumatic stress disorder that have been investigated over the years. Some include trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, prolonged exposure therapy, PE, cognitive processing therapy, CPT, acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, and eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, EMDR. Cognitive behavioral therapy aims at promoting safe confrontations with trauma reminders, identifying self-destructive thoughts and beliefs and replacing these thoughts and beliefs or cognitions with rational cognitions. Many scholars believe the best evidence in terms of treatment efficacy 
currently exists for trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. According to Enring et al. 2014, trauma-focused treatments lead to significantly larger effects than non-trauma-focused interventions, including supportive interventions, strategies aiming at anxiety management and or problem-solving, or psychodynamically-oriented interventions. However, for a large majority of individuals with severe PTSD, trauma-focused treatments only exacerbate symptoms and can cause those individuals to drop out of treatment. According to Greer and Tolbert, 1986, 25-50% of patients do not respond to existing treatments of PTSD. At times, trauma-focused treatments may produce other negative symptoms such as disassociation, which is a defense mechanism against an extremely distressful, painful experience. For these reasons, the majority of individuals do not receive proper treatment for PTSD. The second avenue of therapy within the Western model is pharmacotherapy. Two specific medications approved in the United States by the Food and Drug Administration for PTSD include the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, sertraline, and paroxetine. These medications aim to treat various symptom clusters in PTSD as well as comorbid disorders such as depression, panic disorders, social phobia, and obsessive compulsive disorder. However, other medications have been used to treat additional symptoms of PTSD. These other medications include mood stabilizers, atypical antipsychotic agents for psychosis, and benzodiazepines for sleep. However, these pharmacotreatments seem to not ameliorate the root of PTSD. Rather, they address the superficial symptomatology of PTSD without addressing the causes or triggers of PTSD-driven responses or behaviors. A well-crafted analogy was developed by Sessa, 2016, where he stated, When one has an infection, we take aspirin or ibuprofen to counteract the fever, lower your temperature, and make you feel a bit better. But this doesn't attack the root cause of the infection, which is the microorganism. This is how we treat PTSD, with various medications that aid symptoms but not the root cause. Because of this palliative treatment, psychiatry needs other interventions to help aim at the root causes of PTSD. According to Alexander, 2012, all current therapies of post-traumatic stress have limitations and urge the creative integration of combined treatments that are driven by sound evidence-based principles.
Throughout the last two decades, many complementary and alternative medicines, CAM, approaches to PTSD have been gaining awareness and used experimentally. Various CAM treatments for PTSD that are encouraging include acupuncture, guided imagery, yoga, and chiropractic treatment. Because of these various CAM treatments, many individuals who have PTSD, as well as psychiatrists who treat PTSD, seem to be more open to novel modalities of treatment. Mind-body medicine is another approach to treatment that is becoming a larger topic of discussion, especially in regards to trauma. Since trauma affects the human organism on all levels, physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, mind-body therapies aim to address trauma on all levels. In the next section, a very promising mind-body therapy will be introduced. This particular mind-body medicine utilizes pharmacotherapy and psychotherapy together as one. This medicine is MDMA. section of this podcast. It's going to be titled MDMA Psychiatry's Antibiotic. MDMA was first synthesized by the pharmaceutical company Merck in 1912. Throughout the 1940s, 1950s, and the beginning of the 1960s, MDMA, as well as other psychedelic substances, were being used therapeutically for a variety of mental health disorders. According to Greer and Tolbert, 1998, these substances were being used by a number of psychiatrists and other therapists in the United States and Europe as an aid to the process of psychotherapy. MDMA was reported to reduce or eliminate the neurophysiological fear response to threat, as well as facilitate the access of repressed memories or feelings. However, throughout the counterculture of the 1960s and the booming rave culture of the 20th century, MDMA was and still is generally thought of in Western societies as a party drug. The name, the street name for MDMA is ecstasy and is usually sold in pill form. According to Baggett, Stewart, and Jeromini, 2001, a variety of other drugs have been detected in these pills and many pills sold as ecstasy do not contain any MDMA. This section is based on research using pure pharmaceutical grade MDMA. MDMA is also known as an intactogen and an pathogen, meaning to produce a touching within and to produce empathy. MDMA has very unique neuropharmacological effects, which grant it to be psychiatry's antibiotic with regard to trauma, according to CESA 2016. 
MDMA is shown to reduce activity in the amygdala. As as was outlined in previous sections, the amygdala is an almond-shaped structure that is known to have a central role in emotional learning and memory, as well as aversive learning and fear conditioning. MDMA is also shown to increase activity in the medial prefrontal cortex. This brain region is involved in the process of extinction of fear conditioning and the retention of extinction. It also plays a role in decision-making, executive control, reward-guided learning, decision-making about risk and reward, and memory. Individuals with PTSD have a heightened responsivity in the amygdala, a weakened responsivity in the medial prefrontal cortex, and an antithetical relationship between these two brain regions. Connecting these findings, according to Betty, Fan, Angstad, and Witt, 2009, MDMA's pro-social effects may be due in humans both by lowering responses to fight-or-flight sensory information and enhancing responses to reward social signaling. These effects are correlated to a diminishing of activity in the amygdala and an increase in activation in the medial prefrontal cortex. MDMA is also shown to decrease activation in medial prefrontal cortex and hippocampus coupling. It has been shown that an increased coupling between these two brain regions is a marker of anxiety states. With these studies, MDMA has been shown to reduce amygdala and hippocampus activity and selectively attenuate the magnitude of negative memories. On a neurochemical level, according to Carhart Harris et al. 2015, MDMA acts at dopamine, norepinephrine, and 5-HTP transporters to inhibit reuptake and stimulate release. MDMA also releases acetylcholine, glutamate, and brain-derived neurotropic factor, which promotes synaptic plasticity and enhances learning and memory. MDMA also increases blood oxytocin, and these increases correlates with increased prosocial bonding and trusting behavior. This increase in prosocial bonding, trusting, empathogenetic, and stimulant effects allow the participant to enter an optimal arousal zone or window of tolerance. This zone or window allows the participant to be placed in a positive mood with decreased anxiety, as well as stimulated enough to engage in therapy, yet paradoxically relaxed enough to revisit traumatic experiences. Since many individuals with PTSD disassociate when engaging in their past trauma, MDMA creates a physiological and psychological environment that negates this effect and promotes healing. According to Fiducia and Mithover, 2018, the complex neuropharmacological profile of this intactogen, MDMA, 
creates a neural setting primed to facilitate new learning and extinguish fear related to traumatic memories. MDMA-assisted psychotherapy allows self-disclosure and self-exploration, connecting the therapist and the client through the therapeutic alliance and creates a space for various therapeutic tools to flourish, such as abreactions, catharsis, understanding, acceptance, and most of all, forgiveness. In other words, MDMA, MDMA provides a life vest or a bulletproof vest to go into battle against your trauma. section of this podcast is titled Research into the Use of MDMA-Assisted Psychotherapy. The healing modality of MDMA-Assisted Psychotherapy is a process. According to the Manual for MDMA-Assisted Psychotherapy in the Treatment of Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, this process includes three separate MDMA sessions with 12 90-minute non-drug psychotherapy sessions. These non-drug psychotherapy sessions occur prior to the first MDMA session, so three before the first MDMA session, and three after each MDMA session. The first three sessions are more for preparation of the MDMA experience and what can come up while under the influence. This is also a time where the therapeutic alliance is further developed between participant and therapists. The first MDMA session includes the administration of 80 milligrams of MDMA in pill form where the participants initiates the ingestion. Followed two hours later, by 40 milligrams of MDMA to extend the therapeutic plateau. After this first session and the subsequent three non-drug psychotherapy sessions, there will be a discussion between the therapist and the participant if they would like to stay at the 80 milligram dose range for their second and third MDMA sessions or raise the dose to 120 milligrams of MDMA. The participant usually raises the dose due to them understanding the effects of MDMA much more intimately after the first experience. Each each set of non-drug psychotherapy sessions between each MDMA session are there to help the participant integrate their experience. After the third MDMA session and the subsequent three non-drug psychotherapy sessions, a two-month follow-up ensues to follow any progress that has occurred. However, the therapists are in constant communication with the participant after the full three MDMA sessions, plus all 12 non-drug psychotherapy sessions has been completed. This is in case more material comes up to the surface for the participant that still needs to be processed. 
Throughout the MDMA sessions, both therapists are mindful and present for the participant. The participant has an eye mask and headphones on, listening to calm, ambient, or shamanic music. This music is also being played through speakers within the therapy room so that the therapists can listen and have an idea of what the client is listening to within the experience. The type of talk therapy used is talking through rather than talking down. The therapists are there to aid in the participants' personal experience of their trauma and help them move through and integrate this trauma. MDMA has been shown to be used as a therapeutic tool since the 1940s. However, due to the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, their emergency ban of MDMA in 1985, and then the so-called war on drugs, MDMA has since been driven underground, used in regards to psychotherapy due to its illegality. It was not until 2011 that a nonprofit foundation, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, funded a study on MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for individuals with treatment-resistant PTSD. The study initiated a renaissance for the evidence-based use of MDMA in conjunction with psychotherapy. This study by Mithover et al. 2011 was a double-blind, placebo-controlled study with 20 participants with treatment-resistant PTSD. 15 of the 20 subjects had previously undergone multiple medication trials and 15 completed more than one course of psychotherapy. The level of PTSD was measured by the CAPS, the Impact and Event Scale Revised, and the Symptoms Checklist 90 Revised. Within the study, administering 125 milligrams of MDMA, or an inactive placebo, is done by a co-therapist team that sit on either side of the participant. During the session, a supplemental dose of 62.5 milligrams of MDMA, or placebo, 2.22 hours to 2.5 hours after the initial administration can also be administered to extend peak effects. The method of psychotherapy followed techniques and principles developed by Stanislav Grof, MD, and others for LSD psychotherapy and holotropic breathwork. Other guidelines were used, especially in regards to principles of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy from the past. In regards to this study, two subjects dropped out before the second experimental session, one due to a requirement to resume medication for a relapse of depression, which occurred 42 days after her first MDMA-assisted psychotherapy session. The other subject dropped out due to finding travel to the site problematic, as well as expenses. 
The side effects reported in the MDMA group on experimental session days included jaw tightness, nausea, feeling cold, dizziness, loss of appetite, and impaired balance. Side effects found in the placebo group that were equally or more common on experimental session days included anxiety, insomnia, headache, and fatigue. Throughout the study, no serious drug-related adverse effects occurred and no medical treatment was required. The study found that PTSD symptoms improved over time in both groups. However, the MDMA group showed significantly greater improvement in scores as measured by the CAPS and the IESR. Seven out of eight placebo subjects chose to enroll in an extended open-label crossover to see if more improvement in their symptoms would come from MDMA plus therapy. For the seven placebo subjects who received MDMA in the open-label crossover, there were significant decreases in CAPS and IESR scores from the end of the control trial to four to six weeks after two MDMA sessions were completed. The clinical response within this study was remarkably promising. Mithover et al. 2011 found an 83.3%, 10 out of 12, reduction from baseline and CAPS total severity score in the MDMA group versus 25%, 2 out of 8, in the placebo group. The 10 from the MDMA group no longer met the DSM-4 criteria for PTSD. Within the open-label crossover, the clinical response rate was 100% in the seven placebo subjects. According to Mithover et al., 2011, the strengths of this study are its prospective double-blind crossover design the use of a standardized primary outcome measure, CAPS, that is widely used for PTSD research, enrollment of chronic treatment-resistant subjects who had moderate to severe PTSD, and the use of blinded independent raters. Subjects met well-defined inclusion and exclusion criteria. Groups were well-matched at baseline Subjects in both groups had nearly identical CAP scores. However, Mithover fully understands that this study is preliminary and has many limitations, such as the sample size being small, the majority of participants being female, and the transparency of the blinding, where it was relatively obvious when a subject received MDMA over placebo. Mithover and colleagues then conducted a long-term durability of improvement follow-up study 17 to 74 months after the original study's final MDMA session. They found that 89%, 17 out of 19, of those who received MDMA had long-term improvement in their PTSD symptoms. According to the long-term follow-up questionnaire, according to the CAPS, 74% 
of these previously treatment-resistant subjects demonstrated meaningful, sustained reductions in their CAP scores at long-term follow-up. These results provide further evidence that MDMA-assisted psychotherapy should be looked into as a novel and beneficial tool in trauma-focused therapy. In 2018, two more studies were published revealing further evidence that this particular pharmacotherapy can safely and effectively be used for treating participants with chronic PTSD. These studies were both randomized, double-blind, dose-response, phase 2 trials that yielded positive results. According to Ot Alora et al. 2018, MDMA helps to catalyze a therapeutic process that continues long after the last drug administration. This finding was due to CAP scores dropping lower which signifies improvements in PTSD symptoms between two-month and 12-month follow-up. After the 12-month follow-up, 76% of individuals did not meet the criteria for a diagnosis of PTSD. Mithover et al., 2018, also discovered this enduring effect in their study in military veterans firefighters and police officers with PTSD resulting from their service. At 12-month follow-up, 67% did not meet CAPS PTSD criteria. Various other studies on MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD are currently in the process of development and execution. Cognitive behavioral conjoint therapy for PTSD is also being looked at. This is a therapeutic modality that involves a couple in which one individual in the couple has PTSD and it's affecting the relationship. Studies testing prolonged exposure therapy as the therapeutic modality in MDMA-assisted psychotherapy is also being looked into as a possible route. As of 2000. August of 2017, the FDA designated MDMA-assisted psychotherapy breakthrough therapy. This designation ensures that FDA will aid MAPS in completing their final phase 3 trials with MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD as efficiently as possible. The FDA acknowledges and approves MDMA-assisted psychotherapy's model which involves three single-dose psychotherapy sessions administered in a clinical setting spaced three to five weeks apart, along with preparatory and integration sessions. These phase three trials began enrolling participants in 2018. Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, has been at the forefront of psychedelic therapy since 1986, a year after MDMA became illegal. MAPS have a bright view on the future of therapy. In regard to PTSD, 
MDMA-assisted psychotherapy has been the main pharmacotherapy that seems to heal this mental disorder. MAPS has also been conducting other studies with a variety of other psychedelic substances that yield very promising results. Studies on tobacco addiction, alcohol dependence, and attention, perception, and cognition have been conducted by MAPS. Studies with LSD for anxiety associated with life-threatening diseases, as well as perception, cognition, emotion, and behavior have also been conducted by this nonprofit organization. Other studies conducted by MAPS include Ibogaine for opioid use disorder and dependence, ayahuasca for addiction, and ketamine for heroin and alcohol dependence. Other studies on psychedelics by other researchers include end-of-life anxiety in terminally ill cancer patients using psilocybin mushrooms, alcoholism using LSD and psilocybin mushrooms, cocaine addiction, personality, overall well-being, and overall well-being. In preparing for MDMA to become a legal medicine in 2021, MAPS have created an MDMA therapy training program for current therapists that aspire to work with MAPS in their phase three trials. This program is composed of five parts. Part A, an online course, which is 14 hours long, which includes four hours of interactive e-learning modules that covers MDMA's history, pharmacology, safety profile, PTSD symptoms, and available treatment options, and includes an introduction to MDMA-assisted psychotherapy and the research methods and designs. Part B, an in-person training led by experienced MDMA therapists. This is 60 hours long. Part C, home study assignments. Part D, an in-person training, which is an integration cross-modality training and co-therapist team building. (laughs) Part E is evaluation and clinical supervision. This program is preparing and training current therapists to be able to facilitate and guide MDMA experiences in a clinical setting. In regard to psychotherapy and trauma therapy, this seems to be the next big wave. aspects of trauma, we find that it affects not just the individual, but the collective as a whole. Trauma pervades our world, our society, and even times our own individual realities. Ultimately, it is up to us, the individual, to look deep within ourselves in order to break the long, subtle, and unbroken chain of trauma that is within each of us 
As the Gnostic Gospel says, if you bring forth that which is within you, then that which is within you will be your salvation. If you do not bring forth that which is within you, then that which is within you will destroy you. Within this podcast, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy has been presented as an intervention that adds to therapists' toolkits in regards to trauma. This is in hopes that it may aid in bringing forth that which is within us in order to heal. The power of this intactogen-based psychotherapy has the potential in helping society become more trauma-conscious, as well as heal many individuals who are suffering from PTSD. The future milieu of trauma therapy does not seem so dimly lit anymore, thanks to MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. Healing as a force is the divine spark in the human organism. It is about time that we all felt that force. As Peter Levine so eloquently put it in his book, Healing Trauma, a pioneering program for restoring the wisdom of your body, 2008. I have come to the conclusion that human beings are born with an innate capacity to triumph over trauma. I believe not only that trauma is curable, but that the healing process can be a catalyst for profound awakening, a portal opening to emotional and genuine spiritual transformation. I have little doubt that as individuals, families, communities, and even nations, we have the capacity to learn how to heal and prevent much of the damage done by trauma. In doing so, we will significantly increase our ability to achieve both our individual and collective dreams. With the help of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, a trauma-conscious society can be catalyzed. Other aspects of humanity, such as socioeconomic, political, and ethical ways in which people live will also need to be addressed in order to further catalyze a trauma-conscious society and create a loving, caring, and compassionate world. For those listeners that have embarked with me on this journey through this podcast, I deeply appreciate you. Learning this new intervention for post-traumatic stress disorder will help us get to the next level of human evolution. PTSD is prevalent within every single person in different degrees. Every single person, every single human, and every single being finds trauma within their life. And this can be childhood trauma, it could be birth trauma, or it could be trauma in everyday life. 
MDMA-assisted psychotherapy cures post-traumatic stress disorder. The word cure is not used in psychiatry. You don't cure diseases in psychiatry. This does. MDMA, when it becomes legal in 2021, will be paradigm shifting. I'm so glad that you listeners listened to this podcast and I hope you learned a lot from it. I know I did just saying this podcast to you. So thank you for that listeners and see you next time.